welcome everyone to the weekly Genetic Engineering and Society Colloquium. My name is Jason Delborn and I'm a professor in Forestry and Environmental Resources and part of the Executive Committee of the Genetic Engineering and Society Center. Um, and today I'm really pleased uh, to be able to introduce our speaker, Dr. Kaiping Chen. She is Assistant Professor in Computational Communication in the Department of Life Sciences Communication at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where it's extremely cold. Um, and she's also an affiliate of the um, Madison um, Robert and Jean Holt Center for Science and Technology Studies, which is a place where I actually did some postdoctoral work as well. Um, and she also is affiliated with the Center for East Asian Studies. Um, I had the good fortune to meet Kai Ping um, as part of a working group that was organized by the Hastings Center, um, focused on looking at public engagement and gene editing in the wild. Um, and so we've had some excellent discussions as a part of that group. Um, and I learned about uh, Kai Ping's research uh, on deliberative polling, which is a rigorous way to structure citizen deliberation um, in ways that inform and influence policymaking. And this is a really exciting development in the field of citizen deliberation. Um, and Kai Ping's been a part of that project. Um, her own research employs data science to analyze large amounts of textual data that create insights into emerging themes of del deliberation on emerging technologies. So we're really excited to have Kai Ping with us today. I'll turn, turn it over to her for about 30 minutes and then we'll have plenty of time for questions and answer. Um, please feel free to submit your questions in the chat and we'll also create opportunities for you to raise your hand um, and ask questions live on Zoom um, after her, her presentation. So thanks very much, Dr. Chen and welcome. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for the nice introduction for inviting me to meet the excellent community here at GES. And actually a lot of my works have been inspired by the scholars, you know, at the center, such as like Jason and also Jennifer Kuzma, a lot of you here. So it's really, really my great pleasure to, you know, share my research and to hear your feedback. So for today, uh, I would like to share my paper, which I look into how deliberative designs can empower citizens' voices in Tamari, Ghana. So in this paper, I looked into a case study of one effective deliberative design called deliberative poll to examine how this design aid people who live with poor resources to deliberate thoughtfully about complex issues related to their daily life challenges, such as sustainable agriculture, food security, and public health challenges. So in my presentation today, I will first talk about the motivation of my study and introduce the design of deliberative poll and the Tamali deliberative poll. And after that, I will talk about how, you know, in my paper, I integrated a variety of data sources from the information video provided to these participants to those deliberation transcripts and to pre-post surveys to examine, look into the nuance of how the public justify reason about policies and how the different types of knowledge are raised during the deliberation. And I will present several interesting findings from the paper and the corresponding implications regarding how to consult and empower people in the global south through the effective deliberative designs. So first about the motivation of you know, this study. 
So empowering you know, ordinary people, ordinary citizens with the capacity to deliberate is a critical issue, is essential for you know, collectively tackling complex policy issues from environmental sustainability to controversial technologies. And many scholars have talked about a public engagement approach to solving these wicked problems. And those wicked problems are those issues where you know, the facts are uncertain, the values are in dispute, stakes are very high, and the decisions are urgent. And uh, you know, those issues are usually you know, a mix of you know, questions related to ecological, economic, and social political factors. And to address these type of wicked problems, there are a variety of solutions, very fruitful solutions, you know, pointed out in the past decade. So from what the scholars, you know, Ravizit talk about extended peer community approach, where, you know, people, you know, invite people who have different type of knowledge, such as from the housewife's epidemiology to those investigative journalism, to talk about these complex issues, to what, you know, David Gaston talk about the anticipatory governance, where it motivates people to, you know, think upon, you know, build their capacity to be aware of their own position as participants during the, you know, foresight engagement and integration of the whole technology development process and to the responsible innovation framework to address issues like gene drive. And there are also a lot of, you know, deliberative practices which have been held. Uh, you majority of them are in developed countries, such as you know the effort from here with you know the U.S. National Citizens Technology Forum and the deliberative forum forums on biobanking in British Columbia. So, despite all of these flourishing deliberative you know practices innovations, still there has been an enduring skepticism, doubt about people, especially lay citizens' capacity to deliberate about these you know, complex issues. And a lot of the things fall into the kind of one of the you know, classic model, the cognitive, you know, this, the cognitive deficit model, where a lot of the people point out that deliberation usually requires people to have a strong reasoning capacity. So they, you know, a lot of their, you know, skepticism, they believe that only elites or scientists, not ordinary citizens can deliberate. And there are also, you know, evidence, empirical evidence, you know, some scholars found that, you know, when you put people into a room to talk about complex policy issues, people cannot really, you know, weigh the pros and cons of these issues. They can't even talk to each other, you know, even in the kind of developed country. And then in developing countries, we know that, you know, the World Bank, you know, other international organizations has a lot of practices to increase participatory democracy on the ground. And then the scholars find that many of the practices, many times they are undermined by the bureaucrats and vested interests from clients. And there is a lot of times during these participatory democracy exercises, you know, people's voices are hijacked by, you know, the bureaucrats or those people who are more powerful in the society. You know, despite this skepticism, still, you know, scholars show that we need to think about the values, you know, the lay citizens can bring to these complex, you know, policy issues. So public policy making, you know, requires a variety forms of knowledge. Lay citizens, based on their practical experiences, folk wisdoms, 
contextualized knowledge which account for people's experiences, social values, and interests. And these all types of lay citizen knowledge is critical to incorporate into the public policy making process. And also some scholars found that, you know, indigenous knowledge is also very crucial to promote, you know, those intervention, you know, programs um, development in developing country in order to help people develop their capacity to build their autonomous well-being. So despite of these, a lot of the emphasis on the value of layperson knowledge into addressing this, you know, complex wicked problems, there are some kind of like two gaps in the literature. So first, you know, addressing these highly complex issues requires many of times requires global effort. However, majority of the deliberative practices you know, occur in developed nation and it is significantly less understood about how we can effectively engage populations with poor living and educational resources and in the global south to talk about these you know, complex policy issues. There are actually anecdotal evidence you know, very promising evidence which show that, you know, people can raise very thoughtful opinions about these policy issues, such as, you know, scholars found in the Ghana town hall meetings, in South India village meetings, and in the Brazil participatory budgeting processes. And, uh, however, you know, very few studies, you know, systematically measure the nuance of what kind of expertise is used in these deliberation exercises and how the public, you know, justify, you know, weigh the pros and the cons of complex policy issues. So the reason kind of there is not many this kind of systematic way of looking into, you know, public reasoning about science is there are sometimes there are a lot of kind of the data science challenges of how we can think about, analyze expertise. How do we analyze public dialogues and public discussions in order to understand, you know, how they reason about these science issues. And then the second gap is there are even, you know, fewer study who kind of try to explore the designs and the conditions which can aid this thoughtful deliberation. So this is where in this paper, I raised the research question of how do deliberative designs can aid ordinary citizens with limited education and poor living conditions in the global south to engage in thoughtful discussion about complex policy issues. So one example of, there are many different types of designs, deliberative designs. And for this paper, I look into one effective, one example of effective design, which is called deliberative pull. So the deliberative pull is a scientific method of public consultation, which try to put people into very good conditions to let people think about what would they think if they are under those good information you know, conditions. And it was developed by scholars from Stanford University and the deliberative poll has been practiced you know, for over 20 years and in different countries all over the world. So they're kind of like the key design element in this type of deliberative poll, which is usually a one to two day event, bringing people together is there are several fold. So first is random sampling. So in every deliberative poll, participants are selected by random sampling from the 
whole population, the researchers are interested to ensure that the participants, they are representative in terms of demographic of their whole population, and also in terms of their policy attitudes of the, you know, represent of the whole population. So this is the one technique is the random sampling to select their participants. And the second is, you know, before their deliberation, usually like a week before that, participants were given a well-balanced information booklet, information material to read. And the information material will introduce the background of the issues to be deliberated about. And it will also, you know, list the prompts and cons of each proposal. And in the pros and the cons, they will usually talk about, oh, here are the different types of, you know, aspects, social, economic, you know, environment, variety of things you need to consider of each proposal. And, the, and then, you know, to tailor the material to um, population in certain context, for instance, like in many of the deliberative poll held in, uh, you know, countries like in Malawi, Senegal. So participants, you know, considering many of them are illiterate. So they are provided the information video rather than the written material. And uh, so this is the second thing is the balanced information material. And the third thing is moderated small group discussion. So when the participants come to the deliberation day, they are randomly assigned to a small group of 10 to 15 people. And the discussion is moderated by a well-trained moderator to ensure that everyone in the group can express their opinion and there is no dominating voices. And after the small group discussion, participants will generate group questions and they will convene in a plenary session and ask questions to a panel of experts, you know, also represented in different diverse view of the policy issues. They will ask their group questions. And after that, they will come back to the small group discussion. And uh, they will be given like, you know, the participants, they will be given to measure their opinion change. They will usually be given our questionnaire before the deliberation and uh, the same questionnaire will be given to them to ask them to rate the policy issues after the deliberation days. So these are the design elements, you know, in the deliberative pool, which the goal is to ensure that participants are exposed to a, you know, balanced, you know, information environment, and they have the opportunity to hear people from different sites, and also to engage, to talk to each other thoughtfully. So in my paper, you know, the case study I'm looking to is uh, a deliberative poll that was held in Tamale, Ghana. So Tamale is in the north part of Ghana and Tamale faces a lot of, you know, challenges in urbanization. And uh, the deliberative poll was held for two days in January, 2015. And the 200 representative participants were randomly selected from households in the Tamale metropolitan area to form to come to the two-day event. So the topics, you know, for discussion, you know, are all related to sustainable food, agriculture, and environment. So they will break down into each day, they talk about different topics from water, sanitation, hygiene, and to how to grow, you know, livelihood and to ensure food security. So let me give you one example, you know, of uh, a proposal. So they're going to Talk, they talk a lot, talk a lot of the proposals. And the, many of the proposals actually ask people to think about the trade-off, you know, between different issues. 
So in this picture, we see that you know one challenge facing the Tamale you know agriculture is many of the toilet facilities were also built near the site of their gardening, you know, where they grow their vegetables and raise animals. So these were the are also where the toilet facilities are. So one of the proposals the participants need to deliberate is some people think that vegetable farms should produce as much as possible, even if they have to use the waste water from the toilet. Other people think that vegetables should only be produced with clean water, even if that it means many fewer vegetables are produced. So in this proposal, you know, the participants really ask them to think about, you know, the trade-off between, okay, on one hand, you know, we want a sustainable, clean, you know, sustainable agriculture, but it might run the risk of less food. You know, it might run into problem of food security. Uh, but then on the other hand is, okay, let's go you use the same old way, let's use the wastewater, but then it's gonna cause a lot of problems in terms of agriculture and also a lot of the public health challenges of using wastewater to water the vegetable farms. So there are a lot of kind of the things, you know, the economic interest, the environment and the people's daily life, right? They are food security. So these are just one example of the many proposals which wanted people to think about how I should value the downsides and the upsides of different aspects of a proposal. So the data and the method I used in this paper is, I use three types of data and uh, to study, you know, what type of expertise were used in the deliberation and how people, you know, weigh the pros and the cons, how people engage with each other during deliberation. So the three types of data I study is, one is the information video, I looked, I conduct the video analysis to see who are the speakers invited to talk in the video and they are core messages. So this will help me, you know, understand, you know, what are the different type of knowledge participants were exposed to, what kind of expertise, you know, they are listened to before deliberation. So this is their information video, I analyzed the video. And I'm going to show you, you know, one clip of the video in the next slide. And the second type of data I study is I look into the public opinion pool, the pre and post deliberation questionnaire, which allow me to know, you know, what policy, what proposals participants rate higher, you know, change more, you know, after deliberation. And then the third type of data I look into is deliberation transcripts. So there are 15 small group trans 15 small group discussion lasting for two days. So I do content analysis, you know, using both the manual content analysis and the computational method to look into the quality, the nature of how the deliberation happens. And I particularly look into how people reason about, you know, justify about, you know, their opinions. So this is one, you know, this is the information video, one part of the information video, which is shown to the participants before deliberation. commercial capital of northern region and the fourth largest city in Ghana and has a population of over 414,000 
with a total land area of 922 square kilometers. Tamale has three sub-metropolitan areas and is located in the heart of Northern Region, the only district with the metropolitan status among 20 districts in the region. Tamale Metropolis is one of the fastest growing cities in West Africa and shares boundaries with the Sibundu Nanton district to the north, Tolongkumbugu district to the west, Central Gonja district to the southwest, East Gonja to the south, and the Yendi Municipal Assembly to the west. Tamale is developing in all directions and has become the hub for immigrants within and outside the northern region. With a 3.5% population growth rate coupled with rapid urbanization, the population of Tama has shot up from 293,881 in 2000 to 371,351 in 2010. Yeah, so this is the part of the video where it first give people our, you know, our introduction about, oh, this is the urbanization, the population increase in the Tamale. And then throughout the video, it began to talk about, you know, issues related, challenges related to sustainable agriculture or how, you know, the people feed, you know, how people, you know, how to ensure the nutrition of what food to give to the children, a variety of different proposals. And uh, so in this video, you know, there are many speakers invited. So this is just one example. Uh, one of the speaker invited is a nurse talking about the nutrition the woman give to their kid. The millet as soup, and then the same millet as seeded for the children. And some of them provide just one meal throughout the day, breakfast, lunch, supper for their children. Protein rich cereals such as Yeah, so this is like the, the information video the participants show around like, you know, 20 minutes long. And they will hear about, you know, different people, speakers talk about each proposal. So this is like the, you know, the first kind of the, the, is the information video I look into, I analyze the speakers and they are core messages. And then, you know, for the deliberation transcripts, let me talk a little bit about how do how I do content analysis, looking into those transcripts where people talk about exchange their ideas of different proposals. So for the type of, you know, you know, if you look at the transcript, the transcript is breaking down into speech acts. So speech act is the unit of analysis I look into. And we can think about a speech act as a, you know, a talk delivered by an individual at a particular point of time. So among all of the 15 small group discussions for the two day, there are around 3,000 speech acts, which I look into. And here is the way I do content analysis. I first asked, you know, for each speech act, whether it is an opinion expression, or it is people asking questions toward each other, or it is people respond to their to other participants. And then I also look into the key things is I look at how people, you know, the level of justification they used when they talk about their opinion. So some of the things people talk about doesn't use justification at all. So people just express their opinion, like the example here. So people just say loans are very important. It's very important for us to give loans to people who want to do agriculture. And then sometimes people will justify with, you know, variety type of reason. 
So for instance, this is one example, you know, people keep say backyard farming is very important to us because we can sometimes sell the farm produce to satisfy our needs and to take care of children. So they not only express their, you know, opinion, but also use justification to talk about why their opinion, where their opinion comes from. So here I want to point out one thing in my paper that, you know, when I talk about reasoning, it's not mean rational reasoning. It's not about, you know, you need to cite facts or statistics. You know, you know, deliberation in terms of justification, we want to incorporate a variety of way of communication in terms of whether they use justification or not. So for instance, I, in my term of when I say justification with reasoning, you know, I also incorporate if people tell a story of themselves, if people tell a story of their neighbor, this is also regarded as use justification. And also, if a speech act is a response to other people, I also, again, look into whether it's a simple response or it's a substantive response. So a simple response means that, you know, when you respond to your participant, you just say, oh, yeah, my brother, you are right. But a more substantive response is you not only, you know, say whether you disagree or agree with the other person, but you also tell them why you disagree or agree with them. So these are the content analysis I do for the 3000 speech act. I code, you know, whether what type of speech act they are as, and if there is opinion, whether they use, what do they use reasoning or not? And if it is a response to other participants, do they use reasoning or not? So here are just some of the example of the reasoning, you know, some people use facts, but many times, you know, in the deliberation transcripts, people use testimony or storytelling to justify their you know, preferences. And also very interesting, you know, when I look into the transcripts, I also see, you know, many participants, you know, they also raise the assumptions and the conditions for a proposal to work. So for instance, you know, participants will talk about, oh, in order for this proposal to work, I think it's also important for the government to develop those educational programs for us. So they will raise these assumptions. And sometimes they will go beyond the proposal. They will say, oh, I think there could be a better revised version of the proposal. So they will raise suggestion to revise the proposal. So this variety of communication ways are all what I regarded as, you know, people use, you know, justification. And uh, so there are so many kind of speech acts, like over 3,000. And what I do is in my paper is uh, I also, you know, use the computational tools to analyze all of these speech acts. So I, you know, hand coded like around 400 speech acts. And then I apply different computer algorithms to learn from my hand coding, to learn from these 400, you know, speech act to see how I code. And then I evaluate the performance of whether the computer algorithms learn well or not from me. And then I apply the best algorithm to code all of the rest of 2000 speech acts. So here are, you know, some of the findings I would love to share with you. So first is about the expertise used in the Tamali deliberative poll. So this is where I analyze, you know, the speakers and the call messages from the 20 minute information video. So first I found that the speakers who are invited to share about their views in the video, they actually represent, you know, people from variety of, you know, uh, background in life. So some of the speakers are the policymakers. Some of them are scholars, but also many times there are lay citizens who are affected differently by the proposal. They are invited to talk about their experiences. 
And if we look into the arguments they make, you know, during the video, they also represent like different types of knowledge. So one example here is, you know, for instance, some of the knowledge are pretty technical. So for instance, this university professor introduces about how, you know, he, her research project train people to use organic produce products and to turn waste into organic compost. And then some of the, you know, you know, expertise are people's experiences. They are from their habits and culture values and practical experience. For instance, one of the speaker is a car wash operator. So he, you know, in the video, he is very interesting. He talked about oh, how he used a very innovative practices to recycle the water, you know, in his car wash place. And also some of the people are like the male resident landlady where they talk about, oh, you know, it's really very hard. We don't even have a toilet at home and the assembly never built a toilet for the community. So they are kind of like here, it's not just the, uh, people, you know, like the policymaker or certain experts who are invited to the video. It's kind of like a diverse group of people who represent different types of knowledge who come to speak, share their opinions or experiences in this information video. And then if I look into the, I also look into the pre and post survey comparison. So I see that, you know, the participants have a significant and also substantial opinion changes after two days deliberation. And I look into, you know, what are the proposals they change a lot. I see that participants after this two day deliberation. So when they face the trade off between uh, environmental friendly farming and the food sufficiency, they increase their support a lot toward a more clean and a sustainable agriculture, even though they realize that they might run the risk of food shortage in the short term. So here are just the two example proposals where participants, you know, changed their opinion significantly. So one is the one we already see, we ask participants to trade off between clean agriculture versus sustainable food. And we see before deliberation, participants, you know, give a score of nine. So we ask participants to rate from zero to 10. Zero means extremely unimportant, this proposal, and 10 means extremely important. And after deliberation, they increase to 9.5. And then another proposal is to promote the use of carrier bag made of biodegradable materials. So this proposal also participants rate much higher after the deliberation. So these are just the two examples. And uh, for many of the proposal, almost like 80% of the proposal, participants changed their opinion and they changed toward a more you know, sustainable agriculture and environment after deliberation. And then finally, in terms of you know, how people talk to each other, do they use justification or not? How they reason about these complex issues? So this is the way I look into, you know, for those people who use, who talk about who are speech act is opinion. Among the opinion speech act, 90% of the time when people talk about their opinion, they actually use justification. And we also look into, you know, when they give responses to their peers, this is also like even 97% of the time they use substantive response. So rather than just to say, I agree with you, or, you know, they also share their reason why they agree and disagree with the other people. So there is a very high level of, you know, using this type of justification, no matter when people express themselves or when they share their opinion, respond to others. 
So this is an example dialogue, you know, between the two participants who disagree on the proposal of abandoning gardening with wastewater. So participant one say that banning it will be good. This is the main cause of chlorine outbreak. You see many people farming around big gutters to make it easier for them to water their vegetables. And then a second participant come in to say that they should not ban it because we eat such vegetable always and nothing happens to use. It doesn't affect us anyway. I have seen several people watering their vegetables with toilet water and it benefits the farmers a lot and it benefits consumers too because they sell at cheaper price. So this is an example where the participants, they disagree and, but they also use justification why they support or against a proposal. And I also look into, you know, we know that uh, participants use a lot of justification, right? 90% of the time they use justification. And I break down to look at what type of justification do they use? What type of way of communication do they use? So many times participants, yes, they indeed talk about facts. But there is also, uh, you know, a large proportion of, you know, people when they talk about their opinion, they raise assumption and the conditions for the proposal to work. To work, and they, again, they also use storytelling and they raise suggestions. So let me show you one example of a participant who, you know, use raise important condition, use this type of justification for the proposal of whether the assembly should promote training for households and community groups to set up backyard poultry farms. So these participants say that if we get agriculture extension officers to guide us keep these animals, we can get the full benefit of keeping animals. But if they don't come to guide us how to keep these animals, I don't think any benefit can be obtained from this proposal. So this is where we see this very interesting, right? The participants really think very hard about, oh, this is a proposal you know, I'm showing you know, in the deliberation. But I'm trying to think about, you know, how to make this proposal work and what conditions, what extent can a proposal benefit these participants? And uh, also another kind of the thing, you know, which is very valuable for this, you know, deliberative poll is many of the times people criticize, you know, small group discussion, they will say that, oh, the people just talk. It's just a talk. It doesn't affect policy making. But in this deliberative poll case, and also in other deliberative poll cases, you know, the key leadership in the Tamale assembly were considering participants' opinions from the Tamale deliberative poll. So this is one interview excerpt from the presiding member in the Tamale Metropolitan Assembly. So these officials say that I'm convinced that the issues of sanitation water, hygiene, and food insecurity as captured in the finding report reflects the general liability of the challenges and aspirations for actions of our people. We can't ignore this. Something has to be done. Once we make provision in our annual operational plans, it will be possible to set funds aside to work on sanitation, water, and food insecurity aspects. So this is where we see that the officials at least, you know, they respond, they value citizens' opinion, and they plan to set aside the budget to work on these issues. And also a lot of their other works, you know, scholars, when they look into uh, a lot of their participatory democracy in, you know, in Ghana region, they say that the officials, they have an obligation, you know, it's their way, you know, to respond to citizen needs. They need to address 
what people talk about in this deliberative poll, also for their you know, political interest, they need want to be get elected. And uh, so what are the implications you know, we see from this you know, Tamale deliberative poll exercise? So the first is we see that the values, there are a lot of values of consulting local knowledge to address complex policy problems. So, you know, when the, you know, when the, you know, when we act, when the experts or the government officials in the Tamale Ghana, when they think about these proposals, they actually, you know, talk a lot about the economic and environmental values of doing sustainable agriculture. This is what they regard as the most important. But then in the deliberation, we also see that people talk about the educational values of be doing sustainable agriculture. And they also brought a lot of cultural habits, which might hinder them to do sustainable agriculture or do other proposals. So they also bring a lot of this kind of educational culture knowledge to the table, in addition to what is usually regarded as the trade-off between economics and the environmental issues. And the second, we see that you know, effective designs can empower population with limited educational and living resources to participate in local affairs. We see that you know, people talk about these issues, they really weigh the pros and the cons during the deliberation to think about these issues where there are a lot of trade-off, but it also matter to their life. And these effective designs are ensured by, for instance, we have a good sample of participants to join who represent the general population and it's a moderated discussion. And they are being shown a balanced information material where different experts, different speakers come to share variety type of knowledge. And also in the Tamale deliberative pool, there are also a lot of the small adjustments, you know, we do to tailor to the local culture in terms of how the moderators should organize this small group discussion, how they should call the name of different people. Yeah, and also finally, you know, we show, I show that, you know, how deliberation can aid in listening to citizens' voices for deepening democracy and a participatory accountability to improve public well-being. So there is an increasing call of we need to listen to the citizens to hear their voices, but how to do that? How to do that effectively in terms of both, you know, the people can have thoughtful engagement, but also the policymaker can respond and put what people say into action. So this is just one example of what we can do to consult people in the global south. So I want to end up you know, my presentation uh, with a sentence you know, I wanna share with you. So with thoughtful deliberative designs, citizens can reason together, weigh competing arguments and develop judgments about the policies that affect their daily lives. So thank you so much. And I look forward for your comments and suggestions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kaiping. That was an excellent presentation. Um, and I think those of us in the GES Center understand how these kinds of methods and ideas are really applicable as we think about um, the way that we have governance uh, processes and procedures around emerging technologies in biotechnology. Here, these deliberations weren't focused on biotech, obviously, but the lessons learned are really important as we think about how to engage broader publics um, and diverse stakeholders in the governance of, of biotechnologies as well. 
Um, so I'm going to, I, I've been watching the chat, I'm sure uh, there's no way to do, watch the chat as you're presenting, um, but I'm going to prioritize um, some of the questions from students uh, and we'll get to questions from postdocs and faculty as we have time. Um, so one from uh, Joseph Gakpo, uh, who's an, uh, a, a student here, he asked, uh, did you get the sense that people who participated in the poll were really interested in policymakers having such kinds of deliberations? before rolling out policies on agriculture, livelihoods, et cetera. Or as it is claimed happened in the, in the global north, they felt even if policymakers undertake such deliberations, the final decisions will not reflect their inputs and the policymakers will only do what they had planned. In other words, um, you, know, you provided a quote from one of the policymakers saying that they wanted to take these things into consideration. How do we know as social scientists, uh, if, that, if that's true, if there's really some substance to that reflection, or if that's just a nice thing to say out loud uh, in a public forum. Yes, so thank you so much, Joseph, for the excellent questions. And uh, so we think about this issue in every deliberative poll design. So in the questionnaire, we give to the participants before and after the deliberation. We not only have questions asking them to rate the proposal, like, oh, do you think it's important or not important? But we also have, uh, group of other type of questions we ask participants. So in responding to your questions, we ask participants, you know, questions related to the concept of efficacy. So for efficacy, we look into both the internal and external efficacy. So those questions are things like asking people, you know, how much, how much powerful you feel that you can influence the local policy making process. So we ask them in terms of their self-efficacy. And we also ask questions regarding external efficacy. So it's things like, oh, you know, to what extent do you think the government will really listen to you from the thing you deliberate? So we ask this kind of external and you know, internal efficacy questions. And we see that I haven't analyzed the Tamali deliberative poll, but for other deliberative poll, you know, you know, my other colleagues, they analyze that, they see that actually very interesting. So from this deliberation, the participants, they felt that, you know, no matter whether it's their self-efficacy or external efficacy, they all increased after deliberation. They feel that, oh, the government first will listen to them and is listening to them. And they also feel that, yes, I can talk about politics very thoughtfully. So it's more about this is an empowerment measure, you know, to understand, oh, for the participants, you know, do they feel the policymakers will really take their deliberation or not? And it will also be very interesting, you know, for us as scholars to test in future. You know, we see that they increase, right, after deliberation. But then is it long term? How much do they feel, you know, after they, you know, you know, three months, six months, see whether the presiding member really set aside the budget? Do they, you know, still feel empowered or not? So that's also something question, you know, we want to test in future. But from my uh, another paper, which I didn't look into the global south, uh, I work with some, you know, scholars in Canada. We look into the energy deliberation, you know, panel. In, uh, in a place in Canada, and we track those participants. You know, after their deliberation, we track their, you know, you know, their civic engagement, their self-efficacy. You know, one year after that, two year after that, three year after that, we come back to survey, and we see that these type of deliberation exercises, if you do more frequently, you know, then participants really feel that yes, they can influence the policy. And also they actually take action to talk about politics more, to you know, look more into the politics. So this is, there is 
and you know, kind of evidence showing that yes, those participants can increase this efficacy. Yeah. But it will be very interesting to see also what about in the global south? How do people feel and who feel more empowered? Great, thank you. And I'll just acknowledge that this is a perennial problem with measuring the impacts of any sort of public or stakeholder engagement exercise on actual policymaking. Um, you know, the levers are complicated and it's really hard to draw neat lines of cause and effect. And so the, what you're discussing in terms of measuring people's belief in the efficacy of these types of, of exercises is one important way to do that. Um, so thanks very much. I do wanna invite people, um, if you'd like to, to ask your question um, live on Zoom, you can raise your hand and either repeat your question that you put in the chat or ask a new question. Um, David Cragen did ask uh, if he could ask his question live, so I'll call on him now. Sure, I'm, I'm Dave Cragen. I work full time for a, a pharmaceutical company, but I also teach risk and risk communication for a couple universities in China. I was interested in doing this research. Did you have to learn about Ghana's culture before or did you face any things in doing this study where there was a cultural issue, cultural misunderstanding, something interesting from a cultural perspective? Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, just, just to clarify the question, so you mean um, during the launch of the deliberative poll, we, do we need to counter for any culture or you also mean that, oh, as a researcher myself, I am analyzing the data. Do I need to consider any kind of culture thing? Or like, I'm thinking about it's kind of like a combination, like both sides, right? Yeah, so, right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, for, uh, for the deliberative poll, every time, you know, it was launched in a local context. So it's always through the collaboration between the Stanford scholar, James Fishkin, and they are local collaborator. So like in this Tamali case, you know, are the, the collaborations between the Stanford University and uh, the African lab and the University of Development in the Tamali. So this is where, you know, um, how to develop those kind of information video in order to account for the culture. This is where like the local experts, the local citizens, they will usually be interviewed to bring their view of how they think about these proposals. So during this kind of deliberative poll, it's usually like, we can't like just go into, you know, you know how do you say that? We have a certain framework of democracy in mind, but it, particularly when you go into other contexts, no matter what's in global source or you say in China, you need to hear what the local experts say. How do people think about this cultural value? So this is like during the design process, we highly, you know, account for this type of culture issues where we work out those information material. And then the second as me, for me as researchers, you know, how do I kind of like know about these different kind of culture things? This is where like, you know, uh, the, the local experts actually came to Stanford to visit us and we had a dinner together, you know, and this is how we get to know each other where I can ask a lot of questions. And I also have friends who, you know, do a lot of field work in Ghana and produce a lot of very, very interesting um, work, you know, anthropology using ethnography method. So this is where I read their material, tell them this is the way how I look into these deliberation transcripts. And do you think like how I should think about, you know, justification? Because I don't want to come to think about justification using a very, what we call the rational scholar mindset of thinking about justification. This is the way I wanna hear what the local people say to me, what they regard as justification. So this is another important thing, you know, to take the culture into account. There are, of course, again, limitation. I hope I can have more conversation, even talk to the local people even more in order to account for that. But this is a lot of the ways 
we try to you know handle this issue. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Excellent, thank you. Um, so here's a question from um, I believe another student, Amanda Manelo. Uh, she wrote in the chat, you mentioned participants raised suggestions as part of their justifications. What kinds of suggestions uh, did they raise? Yes. So uh, for instance, let me also share this. So this is like one example, you know, suggestion. So uh, in the screen, we see that, you know, the person say, I think the assembly should set up groups in areas so they can meet them and give them this information rather than try to use mobile phones. So this is a proposal where they talk about, you know, uh, how the assembly should, uh, should, you know, give information to, you know, people to exchange their information with the people. And uh, this is where the participants say that, oh, rather than just talk to people over the mobile phone, let them look at the information. You should actually go to the person to talk to people to ask what their opinion about. So this is like is an example, like the current proposal, just a race, or oh, we can use information technology to do a thing. But then the participants say, no, wait a second, that's not enough. We also need to meet people, talk to the people to understand their opinion rather than just using this type of information technology to communicate with people. Virtual is not enough. Let's do something in person. So this is just like one example of a suggestion people raise to revise the proposal. It's kind of sometimes it's similar, have some overlap with the raising assumptions. Thank you. Um, so we have a question from Dalton George uh, students. Uh, so you can turn on your camera and audio. Hi there, Dr. Chen. Thank you so much for such a wonderful talk. Um, I actually had two questions. Um, hopefully they won't take up too much time. Um, my first question is, um, what role did consensus making play in these citizen deliberations? And um, also what role did dissent play in these citizen deliberations? Um, and then separately, I was hoping you could speak a little bit more to how these um, deliberative discussions were, as you said, um, tailored to local culture. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Dalton, for the two questions. So for the first question about consensus making. So in the deliberative poll, one very critical thing is we don't let participants reach consensus. We don't see consensus in the deliberation. So it's not like, you know, I know in some type of, you know, deliberative exercises for certain needs, participants need to reach a consensus after their discussion. But in the deliberative poll, it's not about, oh, we need to agree this proposal. We need to reach a group consensus. So there is no consensus seeking. And we also make sure if we, you know, because there is a moderator there, right? You know, the moderator will talk about the rules at the beginning of the deliberation to the people. So one of the key rules they will read aloud to the people is they emphasize to people in during your talk, you want to, you know, raise your opinion, no matter whether you agree or disagree with your participants, we don't seek consensus. This is where the rule is read out very loud to the participant. And one thing I also noticed actually from the deliberation transcripts is when the moderator, you know, this is the, those moderators are very well trained. And I also was once the moderator myself in the Shanghai deliberative poll. So when the moderators see that, oh, it seems the participants are all, dis are all agreeing toward a proposal, are all in one direction, they will actively say, oh, um, you know, sister, brother, what do you think about this? Do you have any people, you know, any sister brothers here think about, uh, you know, you think the proposal can be revised, you know, any disagreement. So they will actively encourage people to talk about disagreement. So this is why also very important in my measurement, 
deliberation is not just about you express your opinion, right? The very, very fundamental thing is about it's communicative, it's communication, how you engage with others. So this is about the element we are looking to, you know, how you respond to others with, you know, your justification. So this is where it's about weighing the pros and cons, not only of the proposal itself, but you also need to weigh the pros and cons of your peers. So this is where, you know, we don't seek consensus in those deliberative poll. And for tailor to the local culture, there are two, there are many of the things we did, but there are two things. One is usually the information is not produced in the video format. It's usually in the written format to the participants sent to them before the deliberation. But because around the 27 people, you know, in our pool, they never been to primary school. They don't know the written words. So this is where we do the information video. So this is one tailor we do. And the second is the moderator, right? They will, this is also like in the transcript, I noticed that they will use the word like brother, sister, and the language they use will make the participants feel that they are at home. So this is another kind of the thing they will, you know, tailor to the, to the culture thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Kaiping. The mm -hmm. next question is from Zena. You can unmute yourself. Um, hi, thank you so much for the presentation. It's this is totally new to me, but I'm really interested in this type of like uh, social sci scientific work. Um, I don't have a question. I don't know if I missed, I might miss this before uh, during your talk. So is there a specific reason why you choose the uh, Ghana, this country or like a develop, developing country instead of a developed country? Or is like this deliberative poll is applied to like, every kind of country. Yeah, thank you so much for this. Uh, so uh, for me is uh, there are kind of like kind of like two reasons. One is from my personal, you know, kind of the interest, you know, uh, I know there are a lot of the kind of deliberation exercises, not just deliberative poll, which have been done in developed country, people look into that. But for me, I want to kind of know more about, you know, what about in the global south? Particularly, I'm caring about for people who are usually what we think about the people who, you know, have those challenges in life. If you put them together, how do they deliberate? And for those people who have limited formal education training, when you put them together, how do they talk about things? And this is where, you know, uh, I look into the Ghana case. And uh, uh, this is kind of one reason. And the, the second reason is also a lot of times during deliberative poll, um, Again, due to the country culture, like Dalton mentioned, the people, the people there don't allow us to do the recording. So you can't record what they talk. But for the Ghana case, they are very, very collaborative. They let us record, you know, their deliberation. So this is where I have the deliberation transcripts. For me, it's very important because I want to see how people talk with each other. And this is where also the rich data set is available in the Ghana case. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to use the moderator's privilege to ask a question. Um, you raised, uh, in terms of methodologically, you talked about coding uh, a number of speech acts by hand, but then you talked about using machine learning. Um, as a qualitative researcher, I'm a little skeptical of things like that. So could you talk about um, how, do, how, how confident are you that the machine learning analysis of the textual data um, was good and valuable? And how did you treat that data differently or similarly to what you hand coded? Um, which you mostly talked about in your paper. Mm, yeah, so mm, for, for the, there are kind of, you know, different types of, there are two major types of computational 
kind of category when we do analyzing this kind of text data like humans dialogue. And the one I used in this paper is like under the supervised machine learning. So the role of the computer is mainly to mimic the human, mimic me as researchers. So what I do is how do I know the computer do a good job? So simply put, let's say I code the speech act this way in terms of reasoning. I let the computer learn from my coding, learn from a variety of language, and then let the computer code it. Does it similar to me? You know, I calculate the intercoder agreement between me and the computer to see how well the computer performs. So this is like, you know, the one thing I used in this data set. And uh, this will be very helpful because 3000 speech track is still manageable if you really want to hand code all of them. But then for other deliberation transcripts, everything else, social media posts, it's going to be millions of data. So this is where, you know, you want to train the computer to be good at you. It can never reach you, but at least it can scale up to what you want. But the other bucket, you know, which I find very useful is a lot of the times, you know, there is other group of computational method called unsupervised method where, you know, they don't assume any category, don't assume any reasoning. They don't assume any topics. So you give the computer the data, they tell you what are the keywords and the topics. So for this type of group of method, I have, you know, looking to particularly, you know, in my other paper, how, how it complement qualitative researchers. We're particularly looking to let the qualitative researcher code the data and then let the computer do the data. Well, how do they corroborate it with each other? How do they expand with each other? And I find that sometimes the computer actually can expand and corroborate, you know, because it doesn't assume any categories we want. Thank you. Thank um, you. And I think the last question uh, will come from a student. So uh, Sebastian Zarate uh, asked, are there examples that more deliberation generates resentment or a lack of interest in changing present conditions? So you talked about a kind of enthusiasm coming out of deliberation, but is there data in the other direction as well? Uh, uh, so uh, one thing, you know, which the uh, from, you know, the other practices of deliberation is other scholars found that uh, in the developing country setting, there are also a lot of other type of deliberative or participatory practices. And those practices usually, you know, it doesn't have really good design. And the people, you know, who come to talk, they get disappointed of it because they see that I'm just sitting there. No one is listening to me or just some people dominate or even the moderator who is a government official sometimes dominate the talk. So they are very, you know, disappointed at these type of exercises. So this is why, you know, this kind of the deliberative point want to kind of speak to those disappointments some of the problems in those design, because if you don't really empower people, make people's voice really being listened to, then you're gonna have a lot of backfire. People are gonna think you're just doing a show, you have your preset agenda, and you just try to justify, legitimize what you think about. So this is where, you know, in terms of the design path, you have to try to ensure that with a good design, it's really, you know, people can get, feel more, you know, self-efficacy after this type of deliberation. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that response that ended exactly at 1 p.m. You must have been looking at your clock. Um, let's please join me um, in some virtual applause for Dr. Kaiping Chen. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's just so excellent to receive so many wonderful questions, very thoughtful questions for me to continue my work in this area. 
And just feel free to uh, email me or you know send me any Twitter messages. My information is here, uh, KCHEM Wisconsin. Just feel free to contact me. You know, I look forward. Thank you so much, Jason. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate you coming um, and offering this presentation. It was an excellent conversation about deliberative polling. We look forward to future collaborative efforts. Thank you so much and have Thank a good day, you. everyone. You too. Have a great day.